The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Like Joe said, we are glad that you are here with us and joining us today. For those that I don't know, and if you don't know me, my name is Zane. I am one of the pastors here, and this morning we are going to be in 1 Peter 4. So if you have your Bibles with you or the resource guide, we also have an event on the Version app that you can follow along. So as you are finding 1 Peter 4 in whichever mode you're reading it in, I'm going to pray. Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for being with each one of us. I pray that you bless this time, that you open up our hearts and our minds to hear what you want us to hear. Lord, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. How many of you have ever had to do something that you just did not want to do? And so you decided that you were going to have a terrible attitude about whatever that thing is. You mumbled, you complained, you grumbled, you whined. And then after the whatever that may be was over and you're looking back, you're like, you know, that thing wasn't even that bad. It was really my attitude that made it really bad. When Stacy and I were at Boys Town, that would happen all the time with our boys. We would tell them we're doing something or watching a certain type of movie that, they, that we knew they normally wouldn't watch and they would whine and complain, I don't like that, that movie's not even any good. And I'm like, have you ever seen the movie? And they're like, no. And I'm like, get over it. Change your attitude about this whole situation. And more times than not, at the end of the movie or at the end of whatever we are doing, they're like, oh, that was actually fun. And we were like, yeah, we know, because we know you. As I was reading through First Peter 4, I noticed this theme that seemed to be happening over and over and over again throughout the chapter. And even though he only ever says the word one time in the entire chapter, that theme is the word attitude. How many of you have ever been told that you have a bad attitude about X, Y, and Z? I love it when Stacy says, you know, you really have a bad attitude about this. It just, it makes me feel so good. And I'm like, of course I have a bad attitude about this. I don't like it. It's not fun. And it doesn't make me happy. So why would I want to do this? However, as I like to say, in the very first verse of this chapter, chapter four, Peter really just kind of, when I read it, punched me in the gut about what our attitude should be like. And so I'm going to read just the first verse of chapter four. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. So he's telling us, he's telling his readers to arm yourself with the same attitude of Christ. Some of you may be thinking, well, 
what kind of attitude did Christ have? And you know what? That's a really good question, and the Bible answers that. So if we flip on back to Philippians, Paul says this in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. I would like for you to imagine something with me. It's time to use your imagination. Imagine if Jesus was a grump, that he was just so negative, and he had such a terrible attitude that every time you saw him walking down the street, you purposely crossed over to the other side of the street because you just knew that he would just say something negative. Or what if Jesus woke up most mornings and was like, man, today is a very dull day. You know what? I'm just going to sleep in today. You see, if Jesus doesn't fit any of these scenes, neither should, should we. This attitude that Paul talks about in Philippians is one that we should arm ourselves with, with this humility, with this, this attitude of being humbled. Why? Because it is going to help us when we suffer. Not if we ever suffer, but when we will suffer. Also, in verse 1, I think verse 1 is a really good verse to pick out on why you should never read just one verse when you're reading the Bible. Because at the end, it says, For if you have suffered physically with Christ, you have finished with sin. How many of you would consider yourself a Christian? I consider myself a Christian. Now, how many of you still sin? My hand is up. How many of you have sinned this morning? How many of you have sinned within the last five minutes? You can keep your hands down on that one. You see, what Peter is saying here is that Christians, having died with Christ, are one with Christ, and that we are legally free from the penalty of sin. You see, we have this union with Christ, so we can regard ourselves dead to sin. And because we are no longer bound by sin's penalty, we must strive in practice to be free from its power. You see, when we overcome sin, we are able to focus on Christ. Pain and danger at times really shows us our values. So anyone who can suffer for doing good and still faithfully obeys in spite of pain and suffering has made a clean break with sin. Verses 2 and 3 of 1 Peter 4 says, You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. 
You have had enough of the past, of the evil things that godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness, and wild parties, and their terrible worship of idols. What Peter is telling his listeners here, he's saying, you've, you've had enough. You have spent more than enough time in sin. Set it aside. That is your old ways. Let's move along. You see, when you make a clean break from sin, your attitude is going to change. Your attitude is going to be one of wanting to do the will of God. So, what is the will of God? Well, Peter has talked about this multiple times already within his letter. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Chapter 2, verse 17 says, Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Chapter 3, verse 17. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that is what God wants, than to suffer for doing wrong. How many of you enjoy science? There's like five hands up. I'm right there with you guys. However, I'm going to do my best to talk a little bit of science. And when I say science, I'm really hoping this falls under the category of science because if I'm being honest, I am not 100% sure, but I'm pretty positive this is where I learned it at. How many of you are familiar with Newton's third law? Is that science? That's science, right? Okay, so basically it says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And I really do think that this can be a good summary of our old lifestyle. You see, when we adopt Christ's attitude, when we break away from sin, we're going to have friends, colleagues, family members who have the opposite reaction of what our action was, and they're not going to be able to handle it. I'm going to read verses 4 through 11. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild and destructive things they do. So, they slander you. But remember that they will have to face God, who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. That is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, 
All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. How many of you have ever been slandered for going against the culture? My favorite NFL team is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in 2016, Stacy and I, we were still living in Omaha, and the Buccaneers were playing the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. So we decided to go to that game. Stacy was wearing her Buccaneers t-shirt, and I had a Buccaneers jersey on. And so, showing up to Arrowhead Stadium, wearing Tampa Bay Buccaneer clothing, Stacy and I were going against the culture of Arrowhead Stadium, and we felt that. We got out of our car, and we were making our way to, the, to our seats, and there were Chiefs fans in the park, especially in the parking lot, because that's where the stuff happens. They were saying pretty nasty things towards us. They were hurling insults at us. Essentially, they were slandering us because we were going against the culture of Arrowhead Stadium. But at the end of the day, we got the last laugh because the Buccaneers kicked a game-winning field goal. So, ha. Anyway, what Stacy and I experienced at Arrowhead Stadium pales, into compa- pales in comparison of what Peter's audience was going through. See, the behaviors that were mentioned above the immorality, lust, feasting, drunkenness, wild parties, idol worshiping. For the Roman Empire, that was really cultural norms. And so they were going against just the norm of the culture. And these Christians, friends, colleagues, I'm sure some family members, they were very confused on why these Christians are now turning their backs on what the culture said was an okay thing to do. And so not only are they surprised by these actions, they have also now become persecutors. And in this instance, this is really what slandering is. Slandering is the reaction of people who love living in the darkness, being confronted by the light. And when Christians refuse to participate in these cultural norms, what they're really doing is having a silent condemnation of those actions. And so the responses from these old friends were to be hostile. They want to justify their own actions. They want to silence their own conscience. And so what do they do? They turn to abuse. They turn to slander so they can make themselves feel better about their actions. And really, this deals with our attitude as well. Because notice what Peter does not say. Peter does not say, well, if they're going to slander you, if they're going to abuse you, fight back. Repay evil with evil. Like, you have every right to have justice. Because in verse 5, he tells us, But remember, they will have to face God. And so he's saying, this is going to be God's job to take care of that. And that's hard. When someone wrongs you, when someone hurts you, you want vengeance. And not only 
You want vengeance. You want justice. And you want it quickly. And you want it done your way. However, Peter is telling the Christians that leave that up to God. God is going to handle it. He will take care of it the way he sees fit. I'm sure some of you saw verse 6 and you're really ready to jump into verse 6. I just want to let you know at Westway Christian Church, we film all of our services and Verse 6 really goes along with what it says in chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. And John covered that last week. So if you want to know more, I really encourage you to hop on YouTube, watch what John had to say last week, and then go discuss it in your small group. If you have read anything about Peter in the Gospels, one thing you're going to learn about him pretty quickly is that Peter's pretty blunt, and I think he makes a pretty blunt statement here. The end of the world is coming soon. That's, to me, it really didn't fit in right there. And so, you know, you got to keep reading because you don't read just one verse of the Bible. And so he says the end of the world is coming soon, and how do we respond to that? Well, a little bit ago, we just had a science lesson. Now we're going to have a history lesson. So my thing is, if you are currently in school, you've had science and history so far this week, so you don't have to go to school this week. I am giving you permission, and if your parents say anything else to you, listen to them, not me. How many of you, how many of you are familiar with the War of the Worlds broadcast that happened way back in the day, in, the, in 1938. Okay, I am going to let the rest of you know what happened. In 1938, October, it was the day before Halloween, Orson Welles did this radio broadcast where he would take novels, turn it into like a radio program, and it would be like this big production, and then people would listen to it because for you, Younger people, they didn't, not a lot of people had TVs in 1938, so they would have to listen to the radio for entertainment. Well, this time Orson Welles took a novel from 40 years earlier called The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. No relation. Wells is spelled differently for the names. H.G. Wells' story was about aliens attacking England, but Orson Welles turned it where it was attacking New Jersey and going into New York. However, the problem with that was many people missed the disclaimer at the beginning of the radio broadcast that this was a work of fiction. It's not real, so just enjoy. And they made it sound like like an actual newscast, like this was happening. So you can see people didn't hear the disclaimer. It sounded like the news there was mass chaos across the area. When Orson Welles woke up the next morning, he woke up to reports of mass stampedes, suicides, and people claiming that they were going to kill Orson Welles on the spot because of the mass hysteria that he caused through his radio broadcast. When these people thought that the end of the world was happening, 
This was their response. Chaos, confusion, and death. However, Peter has called us to do something different. He doesn't tell us to go out there, run around like chickens with our heads cut off, freaking out. He tells us, just keep praying. Just keep loving one another. Open your homes. Be hospitable to each other. He also tells us to serve. And why should we serve? We should serve because God has given each of us a gift to serve others with. And really, it's, it's not just serving, but this also deals with our attitude. We need to deal, or we need to serve with this attitude. And that's, that's what he says. He says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies So what if that means that you are serving in a way that's not fun or serving in a way that's maybe gross or serving in a way that's just not going to give you any recognition that you think you deserve by serving that way? Martin Luther King Jr. said this, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music, or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. If you have been attending Westway Christian Church for any amount of time, I think one thing you have probably caught on is that we talk about serving a lot from up here. And the reason we talk about serving a lot from up here is because the Bible talks about serving a lot. And one of our main things here at Westway Christian Church, probably the main thing here at Westway Christian Church, is that we preach the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, we're going to preach it. And serving is in the Bible quite a bit. I just want to tell this story. Last September, I took a group of my leaders who serve in the youth group to Colorado for a training. So if you serve in the youth group, you may get to go on trips to Colorado. And that's the end of the sermon. No, I'm joking. And within this training, this guy told a story. So this is his story. This isn't mine. So don't credit me for this. But he told this story about how he was watching a YouTube video. And within this YouTube video, there was an audiologist who was fitting a girl with cochlear implants. So she could, she was deaf, get these cochlear implants, and then she'll be able to hear things. And so he tests one side, and she's like, whoa. He tests the other side, and they were working, and then it was silent for a little bit. And then off camera, you hear someone say, okay, I'm not going to lie. When I first heard this story, I got a little teary-eyed, and I think it's because I'm a dad to a daughter. And so if I get a little teary-eyed, you just got to go with me here. You hear off camera a voice say, I love you, baby girl. And the girl just looks, and the camera moves over, and her dad is standing up against the door, and then he says it again, I love you, baby girl. And with tears running down his face, and 
they move the camera over and tears are running down her face and they just embrace in this hug. And then you're sitting there watching and you're like, I wonder in that moment, who has more joy? Is it the father who for the first time in his life got to say the words, I love you, baby girl, knowing that his daughter could hear him? Is it the daughter who, for the first time in her life, got to hear her father say the words, I love you? Well, there's one more character in this story, and it's the audiologist. You see, what about him? Through his gifts, through his talents, he was able to set up this encounter where a daughter got to hear her father say for the very first time, I love you. And here's the thing. When we serve, we too can be like the audiologist. When we use our gifts to serve God, we can set up this encounter with somebody where for the first time in their life, they can hear the words from God the Father, I love you. But if we sit on the sidelines or we serve with a terrible attitude that won't bring glory to God, not only are we missing out on this life that God has for us, we are potentially destroying an opportunity for someone else to hear the words, I love you, said from God the Father. So my question I have a question for you guys, and it's a really silly question, because if you answer it seriously, I know the answer already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. How many of you enjoy suffering? I see no hands. You see, I'm sure the people that Peter is writing to, they're just, they're questioning everything right now. They're questioning, why are we being targeted with such abuse and hate. All we are trying to do is live peacefully and do God's will. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ himself, he suffered. And he warned his followers that they're going to suffer. And so really we shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes our way. Jesus said at the, at the Last Supper, Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. John writes in 1 John 3.13, So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates us. You see, the world does hate us. And we will be persecuted, and we will suffer at times. But here's what James has to say about suffering. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy, for, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I'm going to read the rest of chapter 4 in First Peter, starting in verse 12. 
Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed, for the for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous, and also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he never fails you. So there is really a lot to unpack in this half of the chapter. See, it's weird to hear, it's weird to read, but when we suffer for Christ, when we are insulted for bearing his name, we're going to be blessed. But how, how many times has this ever happened to you? One thing bad happens in your life. And it just seems like something else on top of that. Something else on top of that. Oh, hey, your engine just blew up in your car. So something else just happened on top of everything else going on in your life. And then you start wondering, well, am I being punished? Am I not praying enough? Am I not reading the Bible enough? Am I not serving enough? Well, I think this, these sets of verses tell us that sometimes when we suffer, it's just, it's because we're Christians. And there's, that's it. Like, it's not because you're not reading the Bible enough or you're not saying prayers enough. It's just throughout the New Testament, we learn that we are going to suffer. But the question is, when you're going through trials, when you're going through suffering, how are you going to endure that? How is your attitude going to be? Is it going to be a poor, pitiful me, my life? Are you going to be Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Or are you going to have an attitude of gladness and joy? Because you know that when you're going through trials, when you're going through sufferings, that that makes you a partner with Christ. Last week, John talked about Peter and John in Acts 3 and how they are preaching Jesus and the leaders say, hey, you need to knock that off. Well, spoiler alert for anybody who has not read the Bible, specifically Acts, Peter and the apostles did not, quote-unquote, knock it off. Instead, they continue to do that. And in chapter 4 of Acts, we see them doing it again. And this time they get arrested. 
they get flogged, and then they get brought in front of the leaders again, and the leaders this time very sternly said, stop. They didn't stop. But as they walked away, this was their attitude after being arrested and after being flogged. Acts 5.41 says, The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Now, I want want to make something clear here. If you are not suffering right now, I don't want you to think that's because you're not a Christian. And so, in other words, don't leave here thinking, well, I'm not suffering, so I need to go suffer. So I'm going to find some article on Facebook and post it and say something about it. And then when someone challenges me on it, I'm going to be suffering then. Or I'm going to go to family dinner where I know there's people that don't have the same beliefs as I am, and I'm just going to purposely poke them so they can yell at me so I can be suffering for Christ. That's not how that works. Because Peter says, if you are, if you are suffering, however, it must not be for making trouble. So don't leave here. Purposely go make trouble so you can say, woe is me, I am suffering for Christ. In other words, don't leave here and become a modern-day martyr because you think you need to be suffering. And I also want to say this. I understand that it is very easy for me to be standing up here and saying all this stuff about suffering. Because I know from personal experience, and I know each person in here knows this from personal experience, but suffering is hard. It is hard to find joy in suffering. It is hard to have the right attitude when you are going through pain. And it is hard to believe in the midst of pain and suffering that God is still in control. There is a quote from A.W. Tozer that says, While it looks like things are out of control, behind the scenes there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. Through pain and through suffering, we know that God is still in control. But sometimes we, we get this attitude that, well, if God was really in control, then I wouldn't go through all the pain and suffering that I'm going through. If God was really, if God really loved me, then he wouldn't want me, like he wouldn't allow these things to happen. You see, God would want me happy. And what I have to, my response to that is that Jesus Christ, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, was crushed and killed for the glory of the Father. And if vindication without suffering did not happen for Jesus Christ, it is not going to happen for us. You see, God does not promise happiness. But what God does promise us is joy and hope. Even in times where 
the world says this is not a happy time. Some of you, some of you may need to hear this. As Christians, we do not have to smile all the time. You see, the world is not full of sunshine and rainbows. But we are promised salvation and eternal life, which is cause for great joy in the midst of pain and unhappiness. See, Christians and non-Christians alike, we're going to suffer. There's no if we're going to suffer. It's when we're going to suffer. When we are going to go through pain, when we are going to have heartache. But the difference is that when Christians go through pain and sorrow and suffering, we have hope. We have joy that we are promised salvation and eternal life. And so take that and use it when you go out into the world. Use it to share with the non-Christians because they're watching when you're hurting, they're watching, and you can share this attitude with them. Why are you always like that when you should be hurting right now? Well, let me tell you about this joy and where it comes from. As we close, I want to read chapter 19, or verse 19 to you once again. So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to God who created you. For he will never fail you. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I, Lord, I thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for being with us in the midst of our suffering, Lord. Lord, I pray that you be with us as we live this life. Lord, I pray that we continue to have the joy that, we, that you have given us, knowing that there is more to life than what is right now. And Lord, we thank you for creating us, and we thank you that you will never fail us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.